chapter 4 and returning uh, to our consideration of the Christian vocation, uh, which is to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. The Christian vocation, the occupation, the calling of the Christian life. When Jesus Christ saved you, you were saved with a calling, a place of service, an endeavor, a job. And it's clearly identified in this passage. We're going to have to work really hard endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, if we're having to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, then obviously there's something that threatens that. And uh, that is identified for us in the text and in the uh, book of Ephesians and in Acts chapter 19. Uh, as we were called to this vocation, uh, Ephesians 4 and 1, and that vocation keeping the unity because there is much in the world that is causing division and strife and animosity. And it is important that we as God's people have this state of unity as we face a very determined adversary in the world. The high calling that we have in Christ keeping the unity. Now, the book of Ephesians was written to a church. It was living in that kind of turmoil. We saw it last week in Acts chapter 19 as Paul began to preach there, and so many people were saved and began to live for Christ uh, that the silversmith guild who uh, uh, was profiting from making their living by making shrines to uh, the goddess Diana, uh, the patron uh, goddess of the ancient city of Ephesus, uh, they incited a riot, and for two solid hours, this thousands of people filled the streets and screamed, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Several of the Christians were taken prisoner. Paul himself was threatened. Very possible that he might have even lost his life uh, had he done what he intended to do, which was to go in and, and face that mob. Uh, that animosity didn't just stop. It continued. And it has continued down throughout all these many centuries. Since our job is to keep the unity, and since we are promised then that the Word of God will prevail, that's what happened there, Acts chapter 19, verse 20, uh, said that the Word of God grew, the, the Word of God mightily grew and prevailed. So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. And so since we face this hostility from without, but the Word of God has promised that it's going to prevail and it will, we need to think about the division that threatens us. I reminded you last week that the division in our country is only going to be settled as one side uh, causes the other side uh, to live the way they think they ought to live. And one side or the other is going to prevail one side or the other, will impose its will on our culture. I'm glad to know this morning, I'm glad to be able to say to you that we are indeed on the winning side. The Word of God is prevailing, and it is going ultimately to prevail. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to live out maybe our whole lives in the midst of a growing animosity where the other side is trying to impose its will on us and we continue then to preach the Word of God. 
It's my hope and plan this morning to be able then to describe the nature of this division in our culture. Uh, I want to show you uh, from the Word of God where this division is going. Uh, so first of all, I want you to see uh, the nature of this division, where it is going, what, what it's going to come to. I want us to see the root cause of this division, and then that will bring us to that seven-layered foundation that we see in our text today of our unity in Christ as it presents the way that we maintain the unity of the Spirit in the face of this division that exists in our country. Uh, let's understand that uh, this uh, unity that we have comes to us in Christ by the gospel. We'll see that very clearly before the day is over. Without further ado, this, this has a, the potential of being a rather lengthy message. And just a, that's a warning. Somebody might better go tell the nursery folks. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move along quickly, as quickly as I can. First of all, notice then the nature of the division. Now, I could mention hundreds of hot-button topics this morning uh, that uh, uh, we could see that our culture, these are, are things that cause great division in our country. Uh, many times this division has reached across the line and it has infiltrated Christian churches and, and, and Christian people uh, who already, uh, many churches, many people are capitulating to the cultural pressure. I could, I could mention all kinds of things, but I, I just have one thing on my mind today that I'm going to talk about. Chicken. <laughs> chicken. You know, since the first time that I had the Colonel's chicken, it has always been my favorite. I'm going to have to confess to you today that I don't particularly care for Chick-fil-A chicken. I don't. I know that's sacrilege to some of you, but I really don't. <laughs> and I'm not even talking about that newfangled, heretical, extra crispy version. I mean, version. I mean, I want the original Colonel Seven Secret Blend of Spices. <laughs> when I hear that the Chick Fil A chain of restaurants has been closed down in Canada and closed down and shut out of England. When I hear about cities right here in our own America that have vowed that Chick-fil-A will never be allowed into their community, college campuses that reject Chick-fil-A, there's part of me that might be inclined to say, you know, they've just got good taste in chicken. <laughs> you know, that's a, but you and I well know that's not what it's all about. Now, Chick-fil-A has been rejected in these countries, banned from these countries, and taken out of cities and off college campuses because they are led by a Christian family. Uh, that's why you'll not buy Chick-fil-A chicken on Sunday. They're not open on Sunday. Uh, they believe the Bible. They stand for biblical principles and believe in biblical authority. And because of that... Uh, they have become a hot-button item in our culture. Who'd ever thought it? See, the culture of war takes no prisoners these days. Here's a restaurant just wants to sell chicken. Inferior product, though it may be, that's all they want to do. <laughs> they want to sell that chicken to whoever it is that likes it, and I must confess that my own daughter has gone over to their side. 
I did my best to raise her right. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you see, they get run out of town because they believe things that are intolerable to multitudes in our culture. I chose that word very carefully. Uh, the message is clear in these places. You can't sell chicken in our town unless you embrace our values. That's the message. It's not being delivered with downcast eyes and shuffling feet. They're not being quiet and careful about it. No, they're, they're being very open and blatant about it. You can't sell chicken in our town unless you believe the things we want you to believe. That's the message. And so increasingly we find that idea and that attitude permeating our culture. You see it. That's the nature of the division. Where is the division headed? Well, if you want to see where it's going to head up, you look in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 15. And here the Bible talks about the man who's called the beast. He's also known as the man of sin. Uh, he is also known as by his more popular name uh, in our culture, at least, the Antichrist. That is, he is the exact opposite of everything Jesus is. He, he, there's a Christ, there's the Antichrist, the exact opposite. And he has the power then to give life unto the image of the beast. Love to preach about that, don't have time. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast shall be killed. How, how about that for intolerance? And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell. Save he that has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. I'm not trying to convince you today that we're now living in the, in the tribulation period. We're not. But Jesus did talk about how that there would be a lot of things that happen. And when you see these things, he said, begin to happen, you'll know that you're in what he called the beginning of sorrows. I do believe that we're living in the beginning of sorrows right now. And I do believe that things like what's happening to Chick-fil-A and many, many other things are actually working to desensitize you and I and our culture to what this guy is ultimately going to do, which is going to say that unless you believe what I tell you to believe, you can neither buy nor sell as he assumes total economic control. That gets in the wheelhouse of everybody. That's where it's headed. I can tell you that by the authority of God's Word. I'm not making it up. It's right there in the Scripture. This is, we're seeing it happen, and we're seeing exactly the things that the Bible warns us about. Let me remind you this morning, we're on the winning side. The Word of God is going to prevail. But that doesn't mean the devil's not going to have his day. He is. That doesn't mean the world system at large is not going to have their day. They will. But one day, God is going to have his day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, the Lord's going to have this day, the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes on them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. The Lord is going to have his day. And he will prevail. 
Now the message of the gospel was injected into a world full of turmoil. The turmoil has been there ever since. But it is growing. It is escalating. We're seeing it happening in our world as it is building up to the time that the Bible calls the revelation uh, or the word in Greek is the apocalypse. The nature of the division. Where the division is headed. What is the root cause of the division? All right, if we're keeping the unity of the Spirit, if we're having to work hard to keep the unity of the Spirit, if there's a potential then that the turmoil on the outside would become turmoil on the inside and that we would begin to capitulate, cave in to the pressure from without to believe what they want us to believe, to do what they want us to do, to live as they want us to do, to say things are right, even though we know they're not right. If we begin then to accept these things, embrace it, we cave the pressure. And that's a possibility. So we're going to have to work really hard endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, the nature of it, where it's headed, what's the cause. Galatians 5.19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The works of the flesh in this passage refer to man's fleshly nature. That fleshly nature is marred by the power of sin. And apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that works through the gospel to change us by His power, the flesh is unleashed. The flesh is turned loose and it runs rampant. I can pick out all of these uh, this morning, but we don't have time. I'll just pick out one murders. Uh, Galatians 5.20, murders. You see it right up there, murders toward the end of the list. No newscast on CNN. CNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, FOX, or any one of a hundred others that I can mention, no newscast anywhere today is going to say that the reason why so many people are getting murdered in America is because we have suppressed the gospel, we've turned away from the Word of God, we've raised up a godless generation, and the flesh is running rampant, and one of the things the flesh does is causes murders. Nobody's going to say that on any newscast, but the Bible says it. This is what happens when the gospel is suppressed, when people turn away from the scriptures and live their life in accordance to the flesh. One of many things that you're going to get is murders. You know, all they want to tell us is that it's gun's fault. Uh, it's, all, it's all about guns. But the Bible says it's all about the flesh. That's where murders come from. From the flesh. News pundits may not ever say that, but the Bible does. Now, this, if this is our enemy, and it is, if it is the fleshly nature towards sin, that fleshly nature then is exploited and energized by Satan himself, the ruler of darkness. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. 
And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. There it is. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the rest. You see, that fleshly nature that is inclined towards sin, uh, that has sin in it and under the curse of sin, we need to understand that fleshly nature is energized and empowered by none other than the devil himself. So that people may think they're living their life their own way, but they're not. They are following a well-plotted course with the destination that is already determined. It unleashes the power of the flesh. And it's all around us today. All around. And it can be in here too. So the nature of the division, we see that. Where is the division going to go? We see that, where it's headed to. We see the course, the cause of it. And that is the flesh. Now we're ready to see what the Bible presents as the means by which we preserve unity in the face of this turmoil. How we preserve as a New Testament church this whole concept of the unity of the Spirit. How we live that out and we show it in a world full of turmoil and division. How do we do that? And he gives to us then this sevenfold foundation of unity. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. The arrangement of this statement of unity is obviously designed to call our attention to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's something Paul often did in his writings as he did in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Uh, we do not, of course, present that there are three gods. No, these three are one. There are three persons, but only one personality. You say, I don't understand that. Neither do I. But yet that's what the Bible tells us, and I believe every bit of it. God exists in three distinct persons, yet only one personality. These three are one. These three are one. Therefore, the very presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this list is designed to remind us of the power of unity. And that our faith is based on that unity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that is brought to us by the gospel. John chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus in his high priestly prayer on the night before he died, he prayed this, I do not pray for these alone, that is his immediate disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You and I qualify here today in Cabot, Arkansas. Jesus prayed for us that night. For all of those who would believe by the word of these apostles who shared the gospel and it's been shared down through all these many centuries, Jesus said, I don't pray for some of them. He said, I pray for all of them. 
And what did he pray? Verse 21, that they all may be one. As you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. You see, the oneness that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are now a part of because Christ is in us and we are in Him. And that oneness then that exists between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have become an active part. Read all of that John chapter 17, and you'll see him referencing that again and again and again. Go back a chapter or two, John 16, John 15, John 14. He brings it up again and again and again. The unity, the oneness that we would experience because he is in us and we are all in him. So how does this play out then? Apart from the reference to the Trinity as the foundation of our unity in Christ so that we can be one as Jesus and the Father and Holy Spirit are one and we are in Him and, they are in, and He is in us and we are one. How does that play out? Well, when you take those three references out, at least four. Remember there's a sevenfold foundation and they come to us then in the following order. One body, one hope, one faith, and one baptism. Do you see what I did? Not changing the Word of God, not asking you to leave anything out. We've already talked about it. You have a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a reference to the Holy Spirit, one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. So apart from those three, the reference to the Trinity and the obvious reference that He, God Himself, stands then as the source of our unity, we have then these four remaining things. One body, one hope, one faith, and one baptism. Now ultimately, uh, the one body in this passage refers to Jesus Christ and how that we're one in Him. Uh, the expression of this unity, both then as, as, as far as uh, when Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus and today, the expression of this unity is in the local church. Because while our unity exists in Christ, we are in Him or in His body. The expression of that, the place where that can be seen, is in the local church, which is also called the body of Christ. Paul makes that exact application in Romans chapter 12 and verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, that is our body, the human body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And the place where that plays out, that is existent in Christ, but the place where that plays out and takes on visible expression is in a local church. This is where it all begins you see, until we are saved and in Christ Jesus, there is nothing in our life but the flesh and the devil. Until we become a part of the body of Christ, we're lost. Until we are in Christ, we're lost. We're separated from God. We're alienated from the life that is in Him. We have no hope. We're without God in the world. But when we are saved, we become a member of Christ. We are a part of Him. We are in then that one body. And we are also then connected to other believers uh, that are also in Jesus Christ. 
The one body then comes first. Out of all of this list, the one body comes first. And then next then would come the one hope. <laughs> because we are all in Christ, then we share a common hope. And that hope is clearly identified for us in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. We are a different people. Why? Because we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. We've been purified then as a peculiar people, zealous to serve God. And we are looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died and was buried and rose again, but He's coming back. <laughs> he is coming back. And then we have that hope. Why? Because we're in Christ. We're in Him. We're a part of Him, and we're looking for Him to come again for His people. We have one hope, the one body, the one hope. Then He goes on. Not only do we have one body and one hope, but we also have one faith. And the one faith in this setting refers to our beliefs. Paul mentions this, and we'll consider it in a later message, but for now, just see it later in Ephesians 4 and 13. Till we all come, he says, in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. You can spend every day for the rest of your life after you get saved learning about Jesus Christ, and you'll never exhaust the subject. Amen. You understand what I say? You can spend every day the rest of your life after you're saved. Learning about Jesus Christ and never exhaust the subject. There'll be more to learn. When we get to heaven, we're going to learn more about Jesus. Oh, that old hymn that said it so well, more about Jesus would I know. Uh, more of his love to others show, more of his fullness. Oh, yeah, I want to know more about Jesus Christ. But that unity of the faith begins at a very specifically identified place where Paul says, until we come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And in that sense, it is that unity of the faith that we understand that Jesus Christ, listen, is the only source of salvation. The only way I can be saved is through Him. That Jesus Christ paid it all, all to Him I owe. That my salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and not of works, not of anything else I can add to it. I've told you before, the gospel is so simple that man has never been able to even try to take away from the gospel. It's too simple. We've tried to add to it. But when we add to it, we change it. It's not the same anymore. And it does not have the same effect. That's what Paul warned the church at Galatia about when he said, you've turned unto another gospel which is not another. We then have a unity because we are one in Christ. We have the same hope. We are looking for Jesus Christ to come. We have the same faith. We may not believe on every minute point of doctrine. We might not believe on everything about the book of Revelation. We might not even understand it all. But there's one thing that we have to get clear. And that is that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Amen. That if I'm going to go to heaven, I'll go Jesus' way or I won't go. You have to believe that. 
And it's not based on how good we are or how good a life we live or what church we belong to. It is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Are you straight on that? If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, so you're in the one body and you have the one hope. And you're rock solid on your belief that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Then and only then are you ready for the last one in this list. The one baptism. One baptism. Baptism, you see, is the profession of our faith in Jesus Christ. It is a picture of what happens to us when we're saved. Baptism is a public testimony of the fact that we are one in Christ, that we share in that one hope, uh, that we're looking for Jesus Christ to come. We have the one true faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is then our profession of that faith that brings us to the one baptism. Paul made that clear for us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. He prefaced this by saying, you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's in verse 26. And then he says, verse 27, 4, that is because as many as you as have been baptized into Christ. So many people read that passage as if it says baptized in water. That is not what it says. You remember the word baptizo in the Greek language from which the word baptize is found here has one and only one meaning, and that means to immerse or to dip something in something else. What it's being dipped into, we don't know. I mean, they use that for everything. When you put cucumbers down in that uh, lye solution to make pickles, you baptize the cucumbers. You put them in there. When a ship sank, they got baptized in the ocean. That's all it meant. One thing, put into something else. And in this passage, what Paul says is that we are baptized not in water. We're immersed, baptized into Jesus Christ, he says. Into Christ. And when that happens then, we put on Christ. And we know it's not talking about water baptism because that he's talking about a spiritual act because of, of what he goes on and says. As a result of this, he said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, when you're saved, you are immersed into Jesus Christ and you put on Christ. And the end result of that is very clearly identified. Verse 28, you are one in Christ Jesus. Now, everybody who is baptized is baptized as a picture of that reality. Baptism doesn't produce it, <laughs> uh, but baptism is a picture of it. The one baptism in this passage, then, is that baptism that is a picture of the one, the fact that we are one body in Christ, that we have one hope, that we've embraced the one faith that Jesus and Jesus alone is the means of my salvation. And then you have the one baptism. From time to time I get asked why that we as baptized, uh, as Baptists rather, will ask people who want to come and join this church. Maybe they were baptized as an infant. We're going to ask them to be baptized again. Why? Because that's not a part of the one faith. See, the one faith is faith in Jesus Christ. If you were baptized as an infant, you don't remember it, uh, but when you were, you had godparents there with you. 
And when the priest asks you, if you believed in Jesus Christ, your godparents ask for you. Yes, we do. I wish I could be saved for other people. I do, but I can't. I cannot confess faith. There's nothing about that in the scripture of me professing my faith for somebody else. I can't profess your faith. You have to profess your faith. That's why we take a strong stand on believers' baptism. That is, we ask you as a believer in Christ, once you know you're in the one body, once you know about that one hope, you've expressed that one hope that we're looking for Jesus to come. We have put our trust not in a dead Savior, but a living, coming again Savior. You have the one faith. You understand that Jesus Christ and He alone can save you, and you have experienced that, and you have made that in your profession, your testimony. You're ready then and only then for that one baptism. Maybe you were baptized in a church, and they, they, they teach salvation another way. They teach that salvation is by baptism itself. Maybe they teach you, well, it's all right, you can be saved and baptized, but you know you've got to live it. You've got to do all this good stuff. You've got to serve and do all these things. I, I'll tell you, the sky's the limit on all the different things that's being taught in America today for what you have to do to get to heaven. But here at this church, we teach it very simply. There was a question answered in Acts chapter, asked Acts chapter 16, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was given, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You get that settled. You're, from, you're ready then for that one baptism. Maybe you were saved, you were genuinely saved, but the church that baptized you didn't believe that way. That's why that we ask you to experience that one baptism. Now, ultimately, since God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are the expression and the source of our unity, ultimately, uh, then we are one in Him. We have become a part of His one body. We have the one hope. We have the one faith, and we have the one baptism. We have the Trinity. We are a part, have joined them. We are one in Him, and He is in us. All together, then, we live this out by our service. We show then to a watching, deeply divided world what it means to be one in Christ Jesus. Oh, folks, this faith is under fire these days. I don't mind telling you. But the Word of God is going to prevail. And the message that's laid out for us here, these seven foundations of our unity, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father. That's how we keep the unity of the Spirit. And what does this mean to you? Well, the first question that I have to ask you today is, are you a part of that one body of Jesus Christ? Have you received Jesus Christ as your own Savior? Is there come that time and place in your life? I'm not talking about, well, man, we celebrated Christmas my whole life. That's not what I'm talking to you about this morning. I've always believed in Jesus. No, that's not what I'm talking about. You might have always known who Jesus was. I'm, I'm asking you today, 
Has there come a time in your life when under the conviction of the Holy Spirit you recognize that you are a sinner and that you are under the effects and power of sin but that Jesus Christ by the cross had paid for your sin and you called on Him in faith, believing that He'd save you? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? I'm not talking about do you believe uh, that He existed I'm talking about have you, can you go back to a time when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, it's time. It's time. Because you know how far you are away from a Christless eternity right now where you sit? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you part of the one body? Do you have the one hope? If you've received Him as your Savior, you do. <laughs> you have that hope. The hope of His return. The hope of eternity. The hope of heaven. You have the one faith. You understand that only through Jesus Christ have you been saved. You saved, you do. Then I ask you, have you received the one baptism? not it's time to do that too it's time to do that you're part of the one body I ask you are you the part of his local church body because if you're in one you need to be in the other the Bible does not present to us a churchless Christianity we need the church it's his idea it's what his plan is for us in this life you need a church home I don't know what's on your heart this morning, but I pray as we stand together that we'd all be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and we'd respond in the way that He'd have us to respond. Heavenly Father.